us this morning. But before we do, shall we pray? Father, just like the psalmist, I pray that you will open our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Give us spiritual eyes to discern what you would have us learn today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever been separated from someone very important to you and you just long for some news? You know, you uh, if you're tech savvy, you look at Facebook or Instagram to see if there's just a bit of news because you haven't heard from them in such a long time. Or you wait for an email or a text and it just doesn't come. That's hard, isn't it? You know, I have two friends whose sons have basically cut them off. And this is what they do all the time. Well, this is a little bit about how Paul felt as he was longing really longing to see these young Thessalonian believers that they left behind. Now, this book is written after the fact that he heard, after he'd heard, he'd gotten word about how they are. But in this book, we see Paul's heart, his pastoral heart. John Stott says, perhaps more than anywhere else in his letters, Paul discloses his mind, expresses his emotion, and bears his soul. All of us who seek to serve others, I think, can learn something from this passage today. Now, in review, Paul and his associates had had to run away from Thessalonica because, uh, you know, there were some new believers, and the Jews especially were not very happy about that. So they created a riot, and it and so his, the other brothers in the faith said, you need to leave. You need to get out of town. And so they did. They left quickly. And they hadn't been there all that long. You can read about this in Acts 17. And this, of course, just gave a great opportunity to his critics. Aha. Uh-huh. And here's some of the things that perhaps they were saying. And we gather this based on what Paul's, Paul's defense later on. They might have been saying, he ran away, he's a fake, see? Or he was only in it to see what he could get out of you. Or he thought he was in danger, so he ran. And you know, if you were a brand new believer, that might have been fairly credible. You know, you'd think, hmm, they're already gone? They just ran off? And this really hurt Paul's heart. Today, we're going to look at different ways that Paul expresses his love for them. In the first section of verses 17 to 19 in chapter 2, we see he expresses it in words. And the first thing that he says to them is this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, now see, he's regarding them as family, for a short time in person, but not in heart, We endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And then he tells them how he came. Time and again, time and again, they tried to get there, and they were deterred by Satan. You know, the words torn away in the original language mean they they express desolation, like an orphan who's had his parents ripped away from him, or like bereavement in a very tragic loss that's sudden. 
or he, he kind of was like a doting parent who'd lost his child. And he really cared for them. And, and the words great desire are not just, oh, by the way, it would really be great to see you. But no, he longed to see them. He really wanted them to know that he cared in spite of what they were hearing from their critics. And one way that this care was shown by all the attempts that they made to go back to Thessalonica. And it, he said Satan prevented it. And it's not clear. I, I read <laughs> uh, commentaries trying to figure out why or how that might have happened. And it's not clear as to how Satan prevented it. But they tried time and again and Satan did prevent it. And we're going to learn about a little more about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, about the way Satan does this. But we know he's a formidable enemy, and he does everything he can to deter the work of God. Paul said we came again and again. We tried to come again and again, and we couldn't. Now, we might ask, how come? Isn't God greater than Satan? After all, in the Bible it tells us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Then how come they couldn't go? Because certainly God would have wanted them to go back to encourage these young believers. Well, clearly, and we all recognize that God is sovereign and totally in control, clearly it was something that God allowed And we don't know why. But we do know this, that Satan can never frustrate God's plans. I like the verse in Job 42, too. It says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a great assurance for us. Paul viewed them like a family. Uh, He felt love for them and he told them. He expressed it not only in words, but he also did it, he showed it by action, seeking to come to see them uh, again and again. And he regarded them as one of his own family members. We need to ask ourselves, is church just a place where we come on Sunday and, uh, you know, we worship and we go home? Andrew Young says the Christian church needs pastors, elders, leaders, and members who care deeply for people. I need to ask myself, am I contributing in this church to the love and and care for one another? Or am I just looking to be loved? Paul ends chapter 2 with some rhetorical questions that show his heart. And this is to honor them and to encourage them that both he and they would someday be with the Lord. And here's what he says when Christ comes back. And by the way, uh, Christ's return is central in all of Paul's writings. This is the, the hope that he and they and we have. He says, and he asks this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You know, the faith of these young believers was just like a crown of rejoicing 
for those missionaries that had gone to Thessalonica. Then we come to chapter 3, and we see Paul beginning to express in action his love and concern. And because of his intense desire to know how they were doing and also to address some of the opposition that they were experiencing, he decides, or they decide, I think Saul had a part in this decision too, was to send Timothy back to um, Thessalonica. Now, they had been in Thessalonica. They had to run away. Then they went to Berea. And, of course, there was a big, warm response to the gospel there too. But the Jews back in Thessalonica heard about it. So they got a bunch of mobsters together, and they went to Berea and caused trouble. So Paul and his associates had to run from Berea as well. And so first of all, they took uh, Paul quickly to Athens, and now he's in Athens. And then Paul and Sil- I mean Timothy and Silas came later. And Paul decides he wants to send Timothy back to find out how these young believers are doing back that they had left so long ago. Uh, What motivated him? Because he was going to be left alone. Silas was going to go to Macedonia to see how the Philippian church was. If Timothy left, he'd be all alone in a pagan city that wasn't very sympathetic to his message. I believe that the, mess, the thing that motivated him is what motivated our own, our Lord. He counted others more important than himself. Why? Paul's life was transformed by the, the work of Christ. And I believe this is why. He, he just longed for them to know the Lord and to grow in him. And it was all not He wasn't looking at his own needs. He was willing to give up someone. But, you know, when Timothy left, it wasn't like it is today. We know we couldn't take him to DFW, put him on an airplane. And in a short while, we check our phones. Oh, find friends. He made it. Or get a text that said, I'm here. I'm with the Thessalonians, and uh, they're doing great. No. It was a long trip. There was no communication like we have today. So to let Timothy go was a major sacrifice on his part. But he does that. And he continues to tell us in chapter 3 why he sent Timothy. And also he addresses some of the opposition that they are receiving. First of all, here's one of the reasons he's sending them. To establish and exhort. Another translation puts it to strengthen and encourage those new believers in their young faith. And also he wanted to help them not be unsettled by their trials. And it seems like Paul felt one of the best ways to do that was to keep reminding them that troubles in the Christian life are normal. Trials will still come to Christians too. He writes, he said, You yourselves know you were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer uh, affliction, just as it has come to pass. And as you know, that was true for them, and it was true for the Thessalonian believers back in Thessalonica. You know, Jesus taught that we'll have trials, and so did Paul. But it's God who apportions trials to each one of us, too. 
John Lilly writes, and I love this, this quote, It is enough for us to know that such is the will of God, that this fiery trial happens not without his knowledge and consent and purpose and control. That he sits by the mouth of the furnace, and I might add, in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into which his people are cast. And that both the fervor and the duration of the process is regulated by his infinite fatherly wisdom and love. If we could keep that in mind when we're in the middle of a trial, it would be great. Richard Phillips says, Trials play a vital role in shaping the qualities of Christian character that are so needed in the church. There's a story told of a man who had just experienced financial ruin. His business had failed. He, his money was gone, and he just lost a loved one. And rather downhearted, he's walking on the streets of this city, and he comes upon... Uh, this cathedral that's been going up, but now it's almost finished, and it's beautiful. And he's looking at it, but there's a man at the base. And the man at the base is chipping away at a rather decorative stone. And he just keeps working on it, and he asks the man about that. And he said, you know, I'm just getting it shaped in such a way that it will fit right up there at the pinnacle of the, of the cathedral. And this man thought to himself, and he prayed this. He said, God, now I know what you are doing in my life. You are shaping me down here so that I can fit up there. <laughs> you know, we all are living in a broken world, and we all need shaping. And trials are one way that God does that. The third reason that Timothy, Paul sent Timothy was to find out how they were doing he said, I could bear it no longer, so I sent Timothy to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. As we mentioned earlier, Satan opposes the work of God and even our best interest, too. He tempted Jesus, and he tempts us. Paul said in chapter 2 that Satan hindered him the word hindered means to break up the path or to put obstacles in the path. And uh, I read a book one time by a man that call, it's called A Bend in the Road or Unexpected Bends in the Road. And as you and I walk this journey of life with the Lord, we're going to encounter obstacles or some unexpected bends in the road. And we have a choice. How are we going to respond to those? Are we going to choose to turn to the Lord and grow in faith and love? Or throw that over and be just forget about God and be driven to discouragement? We can do either way. We can either way can be true of us. Paul says, I consider Romans 8:18. 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And he goes on in the rest of the chapter to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, including tribulations and persecutions. 
But ladies, when we're in the middle of the trial, <laughs> it's only a walk of faith, indeed. And faith is simply trust. Trust in a sovereign God who loves us. That in itself is very, very comforting to me. Next, we see Paul's response to the news that Timothy brought back to the young church in Thessalonica. And Paul says he, he calls it good news. And you know, this is the only place where that word is used other than for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because gospel means good news, and that's the same word. But this is the only place that it's used this way. Paul is saying, this good news we heard from you, from Timothy. And here's the good news that they heard, that faith and love prevailed in the church. They lovingly remember Paul and his associates, and they long to see them. Do you know faith and love were Paul's goals in ministry? You don't see anything here about numerical growth in the church mentioned uh, or his concern that it wasn't growing. He wanted to know that they were growing in faith and love for one another. In 1 Timothy 1.5, Timothy says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And he also rejoices with Philemon in verse 5. He says, Because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Faith and love are central in his teachings. Let's ask ourselves, what are our goals in life? Are they faith and love for one another? Or are they something else? This is great news for Paul. So he breaks into an exclamation of joy. And here's what he says. For this reason, brothers, and again, see, his, he feels like they're part of his family. In all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted through your faith. Uh, I understand a little bit of what Paul is uh, experiencing there. I don't know, you may not know, but my husband and I work at TCU as campus ministers. And um, last year, I had the joy of getting to know a Japanese girl that was only going to be here for one year. And uh, she was learning her English, uh, learning English and wanting to do it well. And so um, we got together and we practiced English together a lot. But uh, eventually she was able to understand enough. And also I got some Japanese uh, materials that made it even better for her to understand the gospel. And I shared with her how she could know Christ. And she put her trust in Christ. She accepted Christ, which was so exciting. And then I had the joy the rest of the year to disciple her before she left in June. And right before she left, I had connected her with a Japanese lady who's on the staff of our mission in Japan. We'd even FaceTimed. Wonderful things we can do these days. And she had talked to her before she even left the U.S. And so I waited, and when Hikaru got back to Japan, I was so eager to hear how she was doing. Week after week, you know, once in a while I get a text. She never was great at texting too much information anyway, but she did text this. Happy Sunday. Hope you're doing well. I miss you. Well, that, that was nice, but I wanted to know, are you walking with the Lord still? Um, 
And it was actually just a, about a month ago, I got this, this text. She said, I have a new job. My other job, I was working day and night. But this is going to be so good. And we were rejoicing with her. But here's what she wrote that I really like to hear. She says, I'm going to church with Kimmy. This is the Japanese friend. Uh, tomorrow. I love you, miss you, and pray for you every day. Wow. <laughs> that I was so encouraged. I was just like Paul. You know, it puts new life into your ministry to get news like that from someone. I'm sure if you've ministered with anyone and you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Paul says this way is how he expressed it. He said, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Then he goes on in the very last section, verses 10 to 13, to express his love in prayerfulness. And he tells them that he's praying day and night for them, and mainly because he really would like to come and see them. You know, letters are fine, but face-to-face is so much better when you're trying to communicate truth and all. And he wanted to supply what was lacking in their faith, he said, and to establish, equip, and complete them. He longed to see them grow. Well, he asked the Lord for three things. The first thing he does is he asks God to clear the way so that he can come to visit them. And apparently he does get there, but it's five years later before he gets to them. He also asks God that their love would increase for one another and for others too. Here again, we see the heart of Paul. And, also, and that their li- the third one is that their lives would be established in holiness while they await the coming of Christ. You know, we'll be blameless and holy. In fact, those Thessalonian believers, in the eyes of God, were seen as blameless and holy because of the work of Christ. But down here on earth, <laughs> we're all in the process of sanctification, progressive sanctification, which will eventually lead to perfection someday with Christ. So he's praying that down here on earth, they will be established in holy living. Jesus himself says, God himself says, be holy for I am holy. So we could pray a prayer like that even for people uh, that God gives us to minister to as well. And even for ourselves. Then we conclude... As we conclude this uh, section, uh, I would like us to ask ourselves a few questions. Is there someone that God would have me encourage in some way, even today? Maybe a shut-in, a new believer, someone who's not well, uh, somebody new to our church, or just because. Do you know... Everyone is lifted up with encouragement. I don't know about you, but when you hear something encouraging, doesn't it just build you up? Uh, I used to, we lived in Africa, I don't know this just came to my mind, but we lived in Africa for a bunch of years, 24 years, and in Africa, everybody has a house helper, and uh, that's great. You know, they do all the cleaning. They keep your windows clean every week and stuff like that. That you know, you're lucky if you do once a year here. And 
and and I had a house helper the whole time I was there, which was was great. Although I didn't mind going back to being the queen of my own castle when I got home, but um, she, you know, we'd give her instructions as to what to do. I'd tell her the different things I wanted to do. Or if she didn't do something well, then I would uh, have to tell her how to do it better. And then I got to thinking one day, you know, do I ever tell her, just praise her for something she's done well? And I started doing that. And wow, it just kind of, you, you could almost just see in her how it built her up. And um, I think that this is something that God would have us do too. You know, uh, why do we, why would we even think about that? Why not just think about ourselves? This is the most of the world is like that anyway. Just do what I want and please me. But the love of Christ should be that which constrains us, as Paul writes. And we have the Holy Spirit living within us to empower us to do these things. So maybe today there's someone you could just give a simple thank you to, maybe a, a genuine compliment a simple deed of thoughtfulness, a promise to pray or call or go visit and pray with them. All of these can bring joy to those that we know well, like family. Children flourish under praise, genuine praise. So do husbands. And we all who have a husband in this room can uh, attend it, can probably realize that, maybe not. Maybe you might try it if you haven't been doing it. <laughs> they, they love it. Uh, and even just others, others in, our sh- in the shops, someone who does something nice for you in a shop or looks nice that day or something, just a, a genuine compliment or, or, or comment of appreciation just builds them up. Or perhaps God would have you write someone who's been spiritually influential in your life to let them know how you're doing. This would bring them great joy, I'm sure. Ladies, let's decide today to be encouragers like the Apostle Paul. Shall we pray? Father, I do pray that you will show each of us how we can be an encouragement to others to show love and appreciation, maybe even today. In your name I pray. Amen.